Out of the 10 schools in the Big 12 Conference, only two are bringing a quarterback to Arlington next week for Big 12 Football Media Days. It's not difficult to figure out why coaches choose not to include quarterbacks at Media Days. It's because there's an ongoing competition at the position, legitimate or otherwise, and the head coaches don't want to single anybody out. The fear being if, for example, Mike Gundy brought redshirt senior Drew Brown to Big 12 Media Days next week, that would look like favoritism and even though Gundy could just say Brown and Spencer Sanders were still in an ongoing battle for the starting spot it's just better to avoid the situation altogether and leave all the quarterbacks at home I use Oklahoma State as an example and obviously that same circumstance pertains to Oklahoma simply put if Lincoln Riley brings Jalen Hurts with him to media days the appearance would be that Hurts has officially won the starting job which is something Riley doesn't seem prepared to admit publicly yet it's annoying, but it's Riley's team, and he has the right to bring whomever he wants with him to Big 12 football media days. But should Riley, and any of the other Big 12 head coaches for that matter, have that right? What's the point of media days? For people like me, a member of the media, and countless other media members to get a chance to learn about coaches and players we want to learn about. Media days is not necessarily for the teams. It's for the media which means that it's actually for the fans. What is the purpose of the media and the scope of college football? Number one, to keep football programs accountable and transparent, and to act as a bridge between the fans and the players and coaches. As a fan, if you could pick just one offensive player that you'd like to hear from at Media Days, who would it be? I bet a majority of you are saying Jalen Hurts. Instead, the Sooners are bringing CeeDee Lamb, makes sense, Creed Humphrey, interesting, and Nick Basquin. There's no question Basquin's inclusion in the Media Days festivities is a reward for the perseverance and leadership he's displayed at Oklahoma. That's wonderful. But still, I'd like to see Jalen Hurts included. In fact, if you're going to leave one of the three attendees out to make room for Hurts, I'd say leave Creed Humphrey, simply because he's the youngest of the group. For the record, some Big 12 teams are bringing six total people, so it would seem the Sooners could have added a sixth attendee if they wanted. Here's an idea. What if the media got to choose which players schools had to bring to media days? That would be so much more enjoyable for everybody involved, with probably the exception of the head coaches, of course. You know what? I'll be more reasonable. I say the media gets to choose one player who will for sure attend media days. When each media member applies for credentials, just put a slot for each school and write in who you'd most want to talk to. The Big 12 tallies up all the responses, and the players with the most votes all must attend media days, unless there's some sort of family emergency or something like that. If that was the process, there's no question Jalen Hurts would be the number one sooner requested. I'm sure multiple quarterbacks from other teams would have been selected as well, like Brock Purdy and Charlie Brewer, for example, two of the best quarterbacks in the conference, and they will not be at media days. Alas, my proposed system is not the norm, so we'll be subjected to a bunch of non-quarterbacks next week in Dallas. At least Sam Ellinger will probably say something noteworthy, and at least nobody's bringing a punter or a kicker. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. No intro this week, so many things to talk about, which is nice for the middle of July. First off, just really quick, want to apologize for my audio quality for a large portion of last week's episode. 
my microphone malfunctioned while I was having some phone issues and didn't notice it until we were done recording. So hopefully it wasn't too distracting. And if that was the first episode you've ever listened to, I promise that uh, we don't normally sound like that audio-wise. The preseason All-Big 12 team is out, and, well, we've got tons of thoughts on that. The media selects this team, and as a member of the media, I feel comfortable saying the media got some stuff wrong. Also, a Sooners running back is away from the team right now. Not a whole lot of information out about this, but we will touch on that here in a little bit. And we've got a couple other topics that involve Baker Mayfield, Sam Ellinger, and the Florida State football program that we didn't get to last week. And if we've got time today, we'll touch on that stuff as well. Before I bring in Grant, I haven't done this in a while. I just want to say if you enjoy the show and you'd like to leave us a rating and or a review on iTunes, all you've got to do is lift up your phone where it says tap to rate, leave your rating, five stars would be appreciated and if you've got a minute you can click write a review and leave some feedback you can always email the show west of everest at gmail.com full disclosure i have not checked the email address in a few days so if you've emailed the show in the last week i may not have seen it so i apologize for that i'll get on that here as soon as possible you can find us on facebook just search for west of everest and you'll find the facebook page and also twitter is where you can see our tweets i'm at lee benson news nine grant is at grant benson 25 let's get in some hot let's get into some hot ou football talk grant a lot to discuss today i think this might be a pretty fun show hot ou football talk yes wah, 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 wah. so hot so much talk sorry that just i that that was funny hot ou football talk yeah I mean, because it's going to be super hot with the topics, and also it's July, so it's pretty hot outside. (laughs) Uh, All right. Last week, you and I, Grant, unveiled our picks for the preseason All-Big 12 offense. Now, today, we'll unveil our picks for the defense, and we'll also go over who the media's picks for the entire All-Big 12 team are. Uh, By the way, just want to note that at the time of this recording, the media's Big 12 preseason poll has not yet been released, so... That will be made public at some point on Wednesday, and it'll be something for us to talk about next week whenever we have a show because I'm not so sure yet when that will be because I'll be in Dallas for media days and my schedule will be all mixed up. Anyways, I think the uh, logical start to this discussion of the preseason Big 12 or all Big 12 team needs to be around the media's choice for the preseason Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. And that came out as we record this on Tuesday, about three hours ago, and the media voted OU's Kenneth Murray as the preseason defensive player of the year. Grant, here's how I'd like to approach this topic from my perspective. We've talked about Murray, obviously, a lot on this podcast over the last two years. He's been a huge part of Oklahoma's defense. It seems like every time we talk about Murray, there's a qualification of, quote, something like, Listen, I want Kenneth Murray to be really good because he's a good guy and a hard worker. And if he's really good, the Sooners defense will likely be really good. But there's always that but that comes in. So I'm going to do my best here to be fair and present reasons why Kenneth Murray is a defendable pick for Big 12 preseason defensive player of the year. And then also there's reasons why Murray should not be the Big 12 preseason defensive player of the year. That's how I'm going to approach this because, well, Next week, I'll have to talk to Murray at Media Days, and I want to be as fair to him as possible. Not that he listens to this podcast. He probably doesn't. But just in case, it's just it's good to be fair all the way around because, I mean, come on. It's 
not great to take pot shots without any sort of evidence, things like that, which we will have plenty of evidence on this show. So that's my take on this. We'll get into it. Now, I know you, Grant, on the other hand, you might be a little different on this approach because you're not going to be at Media Days. You're not a credentialed Media the member. You're here to give us your opinion. So we'll see if, in fact, Grant uh, does have a different take. And, in fact, I want to open the floor to you first. Your thoughts now on Kenneth Murray being the media's choice for Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. All right, look. I'm not going to go too too hard on this. I think if anyone who has listened to this show the last two years, um, they know crystal clear what my thoughts on on Kenneth Murray are. Um, so I mean, we'll, we'll bluntly just say it, and it's okay. We'll say it. This this is not correct, and that and that's okay. And so I think you're going to pick up, like you're going to bring up the reasons why it's defensible. Um, here's how I'm going to explain it. I think it's very easy to explain away by saying media members don't know, you know, don't know everything about every team. They have a lot of stuff they have to do. A lot of the time, this is going to be about people looking at numbers and stats. And then when they see Kenneth Murray with 155 tackles, 12 and a half tackles for loss and five sacks on, on the team that is most likely going to be at the top of most of everybody's preseason polls in the big 12 and the guy who let's, I mean, let's, Let's be honest. This guy is a very imposing figure on the field. Um, for what he lacks in his skills as a football player, he more than makes up with his skills as a uh, as someone who wears a uniform. Guy wears the uniform better than <laughs> right. anyone the in most college important football. Thing. I mean, bar none, the guy looks amazing, amazing in his uniform. And so that is something we're not going to criticize at all. But like I said, this this is as simple as people saw the 155 tackles. Kenneth Murray plays for Oklahoma. There was not a a really obvious choice anywhere else in the conference. I think this is pretty easily explained away by that. Um, is Kenneth Murray the best defensive player in the Big 12? Certainly not. Is Kenneth Murray the best linebacker in the Big 12? Certainly not. Is Kenneth Murray the best linebacker on his team? I don't know. We'll find out come, come this season. Well, if you look at pro football focus grades and – by the time uh, if you listen to this podcast, you know that we like that a lot, especially because uh, you know, for certain positions that we, we can't really uh, it's tough to define you know, how good players are. It's good to see numbers and rankings and pro football focus watches every single snap of every single game. And last year, Curtis Bolton had a higher pro football focus rating than Kenneth Murray. In fact, Bolton's rating was really high and was a it better was, player than Murray last year. I think by every objective me- measure. Yes. Uh, Bolton was the second highest graded linebacker in the Big 12 last year, surprisingly, uh, behind Joe Deneen of Kansas. So a piece of information I found out as I was doing research for for this uh, this podcast. So, yes, we will find out in 2019 if Kenneth Murray is not just the best linebacker in the Big 12, but is he going to be the best linebacker on his team? We'll talk a lot about that because, you know, certainly he's got uh, the potential to be really good this year. And let's say it this way, Grant. I mean, to be like you and I, we want him to be let, the big 12 defensive player. Oh here, yeah. Right. Because if he, is, if he is, then that means Oklahoma's defense was probably pretty good, pretty solid. But then I don't know though. What if he, like, let's say he puts up like, you know, statistically the exact same season he did last year, 155 tackles, 12 some odd tackles for loss. And he still looks just kind of the same. You know, lost over yeah. the middle of the field, getting washed out a lot, kind of being dragged over the field by running backs. I don't know. Well, here's the difference, though, because 
this poll, uh, this all-conference team was voted on by the media. At the end of the season, the coaches vote on it. And so the coaches will well, have... There's a media one, play. too. The AP has one, right? Like, Well, I'm just talking in terms of like yeah. the Big 12's official yeah, you're right. yeah, okay, yeah. You know, team. Fair enough. So, I mean, if he gets named that at the end of the year, that means he had a really good season. Because the coaches, they, I mean, they get it. They're not going to just look at stats. I mean, they're, they will all have faced him at least once. And uh, Good point. So, anyway, yeah, so... If he's the, you know, I'd like that to happen. It's just at this time, and I'll just put it out there. I mean, at this time, yeah, it, dude, you're right. Uh, the, the media got this one wrong. I mean, Kenneth Murray is not the preseason All-Big 12 defensive player of the year. He's just not. At this time, uh, he's not deserving of that. And I put out a tweet earlier today, and I guess I'll give it away right now. This is not going to be surprising. It's going to be the same for you, I'm sure, Grant. But the only player on Oklahoma's defense right now that deserves to be on this All-Big 12 preseason team is Neville Gallimore. That's it. And yet Neville Gallimore isn't even on the media's preseason All-Big 12 team. <laughs> so we'll discuss that later, but we're still talking about Kenneth Murray. So you've given your thoughts a little bit, and I'm sure you're going to jump in here too a little bit. But I want to go back to what I said at the start of this. I want to be fair. I want to present reasons why it's defendable that he's the preseason Big 12 All-Defensive Player, uh, Defensive Player of the Year, and why uh, he should not be that. And Again, to be fully transparent, I don't think he should be this uh, be the defensive player of the year preseason. Uh, but I do have some some numbers that think okay, yeah, this is this is again. I use the word defendable. So here we go. Let's we'll start with the pros. And this is something that I didn't see until today. And again, big pro football focus fans here on this podcast. According to PFF, Kenneth Murray had the most defensive stops in 2018 out of all the returning linebackers in the Big 12. And you might think, what does defensive stop mean? He had something like 51. And the way Pro Football the fo Focus defines a defensive stop is that where the player makes a tackle, and based on where the tackle was made on the field, it was a successful play for the defense. So out of you know 100 and whatever Kenneth Murray had, 155 tackles, according to Pro Football Focus, a third of those tackles were, were successful plays for the defense. And that led the Big 12 as far as returning players go. So, okay. That's something. I'd like to see a That's, percentage there, though, like of plays, you know, faced and because I wouldn't be surprised if OU faced the most offensive plays of, you know, of any defense in the conference. That's that's a good point. Yeah, they probably did. It was up there. And guys behind him on that list are a couple of Iowa State players and Iowa State's defense is such to where they kind of strangle you and they don't face as many plays. Uh, therefore, you know, who knows if they would have seen more plays like Oklahoma did, maybe some of those guys would have had more more defensive stops but that's a pro um, he had more defensive stops than clay johnston from baylor who was on the all big 12 team and also iowa state's marcel spears and mike rose who are also on this preseason hold on mike rose is actually no uh, rose is not okay so spears is so there's there's a couple pros for kenneth murray and uh, we'll just we'll go through all the pros first and then i'll get to the cons but this is how we're going to do it. And I think you made a great point. You're exactly right about the total tackles. I mean, people have a lot to do in the media. They don't watch every game. They don't know every team. They see that he led the Big 12 in tackles a season ago. And he had 12 and a half tackles for loss, which was tied for seventh in the Big 12. Four and a half sacks. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's, that's not bad either. And you think, yeah, all right, stats, good stats, good numbers. We'll, we'll put him in there as defensive player of the year. And also you got to throw in the fact that Alex Grinch is now the defensive coordinator and you could think that with him in there, the potential for Murray to have his best season at Oklahoma is there because Grinch is probably going to be an upgrade over Mike Stoops and Ruffin McNeil. 
we hope. I suppose I shouldn't say probably because we don't even know yet. I mean, it could be a disaster. But uh, I mean, I think it's. I mean, we're all gonna we're all pretty positive right now. So I think those are the pros that I have listed out. Grant, do you have any? I know you're obviously not really looking to the pros, but any other thing else that maybe I'm missing that you think, oh, you know, that kind of makes sense why he would be the preseason defensive player. No, I think it's all psychological. He's done nothing on the field to suggest this at all. Um, and I, I like, I, I think I'm being kind there to be honest with you. He's, if we're, he, he just hasn't been a good player for Oklahoma's defense the last two years, objectively speaking. And you might think, okay, well, what do you mean by that? Give me some examples. And so here's what I did. And I got a courtesy Sooner Scoop here for this. And this is something that is available if you have a Sooner Scoop subscription. So I'm going to unveil some things. Also, if you that, have a pro football focus subscription. So also, if you have a pro football focus, we don't care about them. I mean, but these numbers are from all last year. So it's been months and months and months and months and months since then. So I've, you know what, even though I know this is under. You know, it's something you have to technically pay for on their website. I think it's fair based on this comp, uh, the conversation to get this uh, information out there. And what I did is I went back because they have a deal with Pro Football Focus, and it's difficult to find these grades. And I found 10 of Oklahoma's games that uh, was listed on their website and the grades from each game. So I have 10 different grades for Kenneth Murray and Basically, it starts at the Iowa State game, and it goes through the Big 12 title game. I didn't get the national championship grades, and I didn't get grades for UCLA. I didn't get grades for Florida Atlantic. I think those are the three games I didn't get grades for. And so when you look at Kenneth Murray's grades, it's, it's not great, Grant, as you might expect. It's, it's not great. So here's the – let me just go down the list here, and I'll just hit them all. Let's start with Iowa State. Uh, it actually starts off not too bad. So Iowa State, he had a grade of 64.9. You know, actually, you know what? Is it, does it make more sense for me to explain what the what these grades mean? I think mean, you should. Like I, I don't know if you should go game by game. That's 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 quite a bit. Do, do, do you have like an average, What just what his grade was? Well, no, I, that's the thing. I don't have his overall grade. And I'm not sure if, if I average all these numbers out, if that would be a, a an appropriate number. I don't know if that's how they they get the average overall I gotta grade. Think, I got to think that's how they get it. What else? Uh, there's a lot of numbers that go into it. Well, here's the, here's the uh, trying to figure out a best the best way to. Explain oh, you're right. This. They probably they they probably have every play logged and everything. So yeah. So here's Pro Football Focus's grading scale. Put it this way, okay? And this is for the NFL, but I'm sure let's we'll bring it down for the college game. If you have a grade of 100 to 90, you're an elite player. If you have a grade from 89 to 85, you're a pro bowler. And so for this particular exercise, I'm going to say that means what? All conference, I'd say. Is that fair, Grant? Maybe like no, pro bowler, I, all I, conference? No, their, their college things are a lot different because um, I, I see guys, I like I because I, I went and looked at their all Big 12 team. They had guys graded in the 70s for the entire year that were on their all Big 12 team. So, Well, yeah, but I mean, they're college players. They're not going to grade as high as as NFL guys because I mean Kyler Murray graded somewhere like around 94 95 which is elite so I mean these and I think you're able to get I think that Mayfield high. has seen his Heisman year was like 98 something too is insane yeah Mayfield and Murray are the two highest graded pro football focused quarterbacks since they've been doing college so yeah it is possible to get that high I mean two was up well, in the I 90s, don't I, so, I don't don't yeah. go game by game that's that's way too just say what was his best game what was his worst game here's the let me 
go through this and you'll understand how I'm putting this out. So I'm just trying to give you the rating. So I'm, for this, I'm going to say 89, 85 is all conference level. 84 to 70 range is you're considered a starter. 69 to 60, you're considered a backup. And if your PFF grade is 59 or below, you're considered a replaceable player. And so if you go by each of those categories, elite level games, and this is out of 10 games, Kenneth Murray, none. And elite is elite. I mean, it's very few players get elite. So that's not surprising. I mean, not a lot of people get 90 to 100. 89 to 85. So I'm considering that maybe like an all conference, maybe like first team all conference player, maybe, maybe even second team all American. I think I mean, that's going to be pretty high. I think for college, that would be that's all American level for college. Cause if I, well, I mean, that's elite though. Okay. So all American. Yeah, that's fine. So we'll go all American for that. And again, it's very difficult to get 89 to 85 range, zero games. He was graded there. Okay. So then you go to uh, 84 to 70 you're considered a starter and so okay starter maybe that's where we go all conference yeah I mean, yeah, starter, it, yeah it's kind of somewhere in between there yeah for college if, if you just kind of transition it to college and Murray had three games out of the 10 where he was graded as a starter according to pro football focus and we're saying maybe all conference so three out of the 10 games graded as we'll say an all conference player 69 to 60 you're considered a backup in the NFL so all right I mean maybe not backup for college would be appropriate maybe just like an average type player or like just a an okay starting player and Murray had five games ranked between 69 and 60 so according to the NFL you're backup to be fair in college we'll transition it to let's say just an okay an okay starter and then replaceable, 59 and below, he had two games where he was 59 or below graded. So this is your preseason All-Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. And uh, not that many good games. Uh, his two best games of the year. Who would, what would you guess his two best games of the season were? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, well, I mean, but, by uh, his two best games were Florida Atlantic and UCLA, uh, but... They're, they oh, don't. Okay. They don't have the the grades for those. So I guess uh, maybe I'll throw it. TCU. Mm, yes. And oh. Um, oh geez, TCU and maybe the Big Twelve Championship game. No, TCU and Army. Oh yeah. TCU, he was graded out at 85. So he was really high, TCU. I mean, that was his best game. Uh, he was the f- best player on the team in tackling, 83. Uh, and then for Army, he was a 74.4, which that was the best on the team against Army. So there was two games where he was the highest-graded player on Oklahoma. In both of those games, he was awesome at tackling. Uh, and then also his third-best game, which was pleasantly surprising, Grant, uh, 71 against Oklahoma State. And that was third best on the team. And the reason I say it's surprising, because I, I think it's pretty easy to see why. And I think you made a good point. UCLA and uh, FAU, he probably had pretty good numbers. So let's give him credit for that. They didn't have those numbers on the website. Uh, but the two games he, he graded highest in this particular exercise, Army and uh, TCU, were two teams that weren't particularly threatening at all through the air. So it allowed Kenneth Murray, I think, to play downhill and not in coverage as much and not think a whole lot and just make plays. 
And that's why I'm pleasantly surprised by his Oklahoma State grade at 71 because Oklahoma State does it all. They throw the ball, they run the ball, and he had a good game against Oklahoma State. Looking at his, his worst games, his worst game of the season came against Kansas. He was graded at 53 and a half. And a lot of people had bad games against Kansas. His tackling was below 50. He could not tackle anybody against Kansas. And then his other game under, uh, under 60 was against Baylor. And uh, number f- uh, 55 was his grade there. So, I mean, I, I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you, but the point is this is a guy that wasn't necessarily always the best player on his own team, and this is a defense that was the worst defense in the Big 12, and he has been named the preseason Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. So these are the cons against him. Uh, and again, Curtis Bolton had a better season grade-wise than uh, Kenneth Murray, and I think uh, – objectively watching the tape i mean curtis bolton had a nice season for a, a team that was not very good um for a on defense, defense yeah. on defense um yes on no, defense. i mean th- i think this is an obvious punt by the media and that's okay like i said you know i if if you would have put a gun to my head i would have guessed that it would have been caden stearns probably the defensive player of the year which i think would be completely defensible it's what i was expecting um but you know i mean i it's it's understandable just when you look at the numbers it's understandable um, when you look at the tape and, you know, this is coming from two guys who have watched, you know, every snap this guy has taken for the last two seasons. And, and we certainly know at this point, he is not the, def- he's not defensive player of the year material at all, but you know, I'm, he's very physically imposing. I mean, that's, that's very obvious. Um, mm-hmm. he's just, and you parse through, I remember during the spring, I mean, we had podcasts where we would kind of parse through quotes from, uh, Brian Odom, the new I think he's the outside linebacker coach or inside linebacker. I can't remember uh, what the new one of the new linebacker position coaches. And I mean, you could just tell from his quotes that I mean, it, it, Kenneth, I mean, Murray's got a long way to go. I mean, he was commenting. If I got to remember correct, just a, maybe his instincts or there are certain plays out there that a player that of his caliber of his experience just need to make instinctively. But he's just it seems like he just is not getting it yet. I mean, and this is his third year in the program, so I mean, you could hear from some of the coaches and. It's what we've been seeing on the field. So, again, to, to put a bow on this whole discussion on Kenneth Murray is like we want him to do well. Don't get this wrong. It's just we don't want to be fanboys and just say, yeah, awesome, great. He's a great player. And, you know, everybody that says he is is uh, not necessarily, you know, a, a player that's capable of being a you know first team all big patrol player. Like those guys are crazy because he I don't know. I mean, it. Use your eyeballs and, and the stats and, and everything back it up and what we've seen and heard from the coaching staff, too. It's, it's, he's a guy that has a ton of potential. He just hopefully has his best year. And, you know, we can look back at this podcast four months from now and, and just kind of laugh and say, man, he, he was great. He had his best season yet, and he was really, really good. And you know, he's, he's playing out of position. He is. I, and I'll, I'll continue to maintain that. Okay, so let's go over the rest of the preseason All Big Twelve defense, and let's start with uh, you know let's save kind of the defensive player of the year and all that stuff for the ending. Uh, even though we're talking about Kenneth Murray, so let's start at the defensive line. And so we, we, just wait, like last are we time, going over our our picks, or are we going over the? Oh yeah, yeah, good call. That's a good point. Yeah, because we have. Um, how, how should we do this, man? Do we do obviously last? Do we really need to tell everyone what the picks were? I mean, they like the the actual media picks. Like, there's. How about this? We'll go through our own, uh, and then if if our own if our selection is on the list, we'll say it, and then 
if it's not on the list, maybe we'll acknowledge that or something or um actually yeah, you know what? Let's how about how about we do this? Let's let's go through the actual list and and then if there's any sort of differences in what and what it is, we will say it. Um and I only say that just because I'm looking at like what the media picked for the offense and it's very very similar to ours. Really the only um the only differences are Puka Williams is on there. Um, and Zach Shackelford is on there, except uh, instead of Sam Cosme. That that's basically it. And Puka Williams, by the way, we saw came out recently, like this week, that he's going to be suspended for their first game. But it seems like that's probably it. And one of our qualifi- qualifiers last week was, "Hey, Puka Williams is is on our All Big Twelve team, but we're not sure if he's going to play or what he's up to." Um, so it sounds like he's going to probably play a lot this upcoming year. And uh, he made the preseason All-Big 12 team, which is incredibly defendable because he was very good. Last yeah, and that's and that goes against pretty much like one of my big rules of never picking a Kansas player for any of these teams. That's <laughs> I'm like, I'm serious. And that's I mean, that's that's how good of a player he is. All right. So you want to go over. Say that again. You want to go over the actual list and then let's go over the actual list maybe. And, and just like, and then we can say, Hey, yes, this guy's on our team. This guy's not on our team. Um, or, or not. I don't know. All right. Let's start with the defensive line. There's five defensive linemen that we got to put out there. So the first one, and I'm just going to go what it looks like on the big 12 release. So the first one is Baylor's James Lynch as a defensive lineman. James Lynch is also on my preseason all big 12 defensive team grant is he on your team he is not on my team no okay well right off the bat we've got uh he was considered about, so. he was considered um and he, he like he's right there it's a there's a lot of the uh, defense there was like there's a lot of defensible picks on defense um and and lynch was definitely he's right there it's like he, he there's not a ton of separation between like the last guy put in there and him sure um but yeah you, you can continue all right, so I have Lynch on there because he was really good against the run in 2018. He's he's one of the best defensive linemen. I think he's the best defensive lineman on Baylor, which, okay. I mean, it means something to be the best on your team. Was you going to say something? No, I mean, I was going to say it doesn't say much, but. Yeah, and then he was really good at getting after the quarterback as well. Uh, he had a 74 PFF rating in, in 2018, which is, is pretty solid for, for college, especially on defense. So James Lynch, uh, so I agree with the media there. Uh, the next guy on the media. This is so. This again. This is the media. The next one is Jaquan Bailey from Iowa State. Jaquan Bailey is also on my team. Grant is he on your team? He most certainly is, Lee. All right. So we all agree on Jaquan Bailey. I mean, this guy is a sack machine. He had eight last year. Uh, that's the most out of anybody who's returning this season in the Big Twelve. And uh, hey, he's one sack away from breaking Iowa State's career record for sacks. So. He's going to probably get that this year. So Jaquan Bailey's a really good player, and uh, he is on all of our lists. Anything you want to add on Bailey? Yeah, um, and then I'll, um, I'll maybe – you know what? Let me, let me look at the thing here because he's got a teammate that I want to talk with. Yeah, he's, he's right next on the list. So I have it here, Lee. I, I, think, I think Jaquan Bailey and Ray Lima, who is, who is also on the media's team and I'm assuming is on both of our teams as well. He's the nose tackle for Iowa State. Yes. Um, I think I think Jaquan Bailey and Ray Lima are the two best defensive linemen in the Big 12 right now going into the season of everything that we know right now. This is the best duo in the Big 12. Um, and I, you know, 
Bailey has just been consistently productive, basically in his in his in his two seasons as a starter. Like you said, he is he's the leading kind of returning sack artist in the Big Twelve. He's a good player. He's a good player. He's got a high motor, um, and uh, I'll, I'll talk about him a little later. But he's a guy that I actually really like to watch play. He looks really good in his uniform too. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a theme. I I I, All right. I really like to point out guys who who can really wear a uniform. Yeah, you, you do. You do. And you mentioned Ray Lima is also on the media's team. He's the next one. Yep, he's on my team as well. And Lima, yeah, I mean, he, he had a PFF grade of 78.7. He was the second-ranked interior defensive lineman in the Big 12. And he's just great against the run. And he just he takes up blocks and attention. And he lets those other really good Iowa State defensive players run around and make plays. And Ray Lima was really good a season ago. And, and he's going to be most likely really good this season as well I think going into the season based off of past production basically the last two seasons I think where we stand right now I think Lima is the best defensive player in the conference 6'3 305 big old senior from LA all right so we have two more defensive linemen on the media's preseason all big 12 defensive team the next one is Kansas State's Reggie Walker now Reggie Walker is not on my list grant is he on yours yeah he is all right so defend reggie walker yeah, he's here on the list so reggie walker if everyone remembers he was the big 12 defensive freshman of the year in 2016 had a bit of a down year in 2017 but he kind of started to become quietly a lot more productive again last season and he just put up he put up some really solid numbers last year and there's just a big kind of conglomeration of defensive linemen in the big 12 who had really similar numbers and really, you can throw all those guys in a bag and and pull their name out of a hat. And you know what? I'm co- I'm completely comfortable with with putting the, uh, the the 2016 defensive freshman of the year on here. That that's basically my my rationale. All right, because he's right. That's fair. In terms of in terms of production returning, he's right up there at the top of the conference with guys coming back. So, and I'm just going to interject one of my. Uh, actually, no. We'll, we'll just move on then. So, so you you agree with the media? I, I don't have them, and uh, quite frankly, I I might be off on this one. I I may have whiffed on this one. But uh, let's get to the last defensive lineman from the uh, actual preseason poll: TCU's Corey Bethley. And this guy is not on my team. Grant is he on yours? Yes, he is. And this was the guy. So I actually inserted Bethley in here uh, a couple days ago after rethinking it over. Uh, over Lynch, uh, uh, over James Lynch. So um, I just, I like, I like quick athletic defensive linemen in Gary Patterson's scheme. He had very, very similar numbers as Lynch. And I'm just, gonna, I, I'm going to trust a defensive lineman in, in Patterson's scheme any day over someone from Baylor. And I know that's not particularly scientific at this point in time, but this is the, this, this is the preseason. You got to go with, with kind of what you know and what the trends have been over the course of, you know, decades of college football. That's why I'm going to go with Bethley. He was also one of the, in my mind, one of kind of one of two or three guys who, when you watched TCU last year, he he, he flashed. He was a guy that you noticed, and uh, he he's quick. He's good. He's gonna he's gonna put up a lot of productive numbers this season. All right, that's good. That's uh, well reasoned. So it sounds like so. Is there what four of the five on your team? Yes. All right, so three of the five are on my team. So now is the part where uh, – so I have two players that uh, I don't agree with, so I'll just – I'll give them now. And, and again, I, I, I might have whiffed on this one. So I, I have another Kansas State defensive lineman on there, 
Trey Dishon or Dishon. I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. Uh, I he had a great season last year. He finished second in the Big 12 against the run a season ago, and and he also pressured the quarterback more than any other interior lineman in the Big 12 a season ago. But uh, you, you could probably go either or with him or Reggie Walker. I know Reggie Walker's kind of got the more. He's kind of he had a couple like a good season a few years ago. Deshaun, Deshaun Deshaun's is, completely defensible. Yeah, so so I decided to go with him instead, and uh, my the other player I have, which I think you and I will probably be the same on this one, Neville Gallimore. Neville Gallimore should be on this preseason media All Big Twelve team. He is not, but uh, Neville Gallimore is there for me. And in fact, I think Neville Gallimore might be. Uh, yeah, Ray Lehman's got a, got a you know a claim, but I think Gallimore might be the best defensive lineman in the Big Twelve. Yeah, I think he certainly has a chance to be. Um, once we get to the end of the season, it would not surprise me whatsoever if Gallimore is the most disrupt- disruptive defensive lineman in the conference. I think in terms of athleticism and sort of the traits that he brings, he's probably the most impressive you know one in the conference right now. Uh, just if you if you you know look at his physical pedigree. Um, and I don't know if I'm, he, he is also on my team as well. So, and, um, I, I just, on a bad defense last year, Neville Gallimore, I thought was very clearly the best player on Oklahoma's defense last year. Lee, when he was, when he was in there last year, OU's run defense was respectable. And when he wasn't there, it was awful. And I, I only have to point you to the Kansas game to show, to show you. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And again, we like to use PFF rankings. I mean, he, he was a all Big 12 first teamer on the PFF uh, website a season ago. His overall grade was 82.6. Highest graded defensive lineman in the Big 12 last year. Mm-hmm. Higher than Ray Lima, who is on that preseason all Big 12 team. And I went through and looked at all of his games like I did with Kenneth Murray Grant, just because I was curious. Basically, last season, Gallimore had one bad game. And that was against Baylor, where he uh, was like the 19th ranked player on OU's defense in that game. He had three games where he was kind of like, nah, like meh, like kind of average, where he was ranked uh, anywhere from 8 to 11 on the team on defense. And that was Army, TCU, and Tech. And then six games where he was great. He was, he was one of the best three players on Oklahoma's defense graded-wise in six games. So that's six great games. And again, I don't have the FAU or UCLA uh, grades in front of me but out of those 10 games I had I mean Gallimore was was easily uh, the best player on the defense and he is now going to be playing in a scheme that fits his skill set perfectly so I it would not yep. it would not surprise me at all if, if we see a monster season from Neville Gallimore this is not a homer pick this is absolutely something that could that could happen this is a guy who has every chance uh, to be maybe the most dominant defensive player in the Big 12 this season and Gallimore will be one of the Sooners at Media Days next week, so we'll get a chance to talk to him about, hey, man, uh, how does it feel to get snubbed from the preseason All-Big 12 team? And I'm sure he'll be very nice about it, but deep down inside, he will use that as even more fuel. All right, let's move on to the linebackers. Uh, can I, so, I just want to throw this out there one more time, yeah. just because the defensive line, there's a lot of competition, I thought, on the defensive line. There was a lot of dudes you could throw in there. Um, so I just wanted to say just other guys to kind of keep your eye on. Uh, Ross Blacklock at TCU. He was a he was a preseason first teamer last year, if I remember correctly, uh, who tore his Achilles at the beginning of the season. Really difficult injury to come back from, but he's a really talented player. I have James Lynch on there as well, of course, who I omitted. And then also look out for Malcolm Roach at Texas. Uh, he's a guy who's been they've kind of moved him around the defensive line over over his career, but he's an athletic guy with a high motor. 
Um, Ronnie Perkins as well, I think, is a guy who can have an all-Big 12-type season. And then um, another guy, you, you brought up Trey Deshaun. Um, I had his teammate on the defensive line as well. Kansas State's got a has a good defensive line. Uh, Wyatt Hubert, he was a he was a freshman last year, a freshman All-American last season, had four and a half sacks. Uh, another guy who who I think could have a All-Big 12 type season. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Okay, so let's move on to the linebackers now. Three linebackers selected by the media for the Big 12 preseason uh, all-defensive team. And we begin with Baylor's Clay Johnston. And Grant Johnson is on my team. Is he on your he's team? He's also on my team, Lee, yes. All right, and Johnson, he's, he's a good player. He's just a really good player. He was second team all Big 12 a season ago. Uh, he had a 77.2 PFF grade, which is the second highest grade for returning linebackers in the conference. So uh, he's steady, technically sound in the middle of that Baylor defense. So he is on my list. He's on all of our lists. Any comments on Johnston? Um, yeah, I just want to throw, I mean, this is honestly more of just kind of like a toss him in type thing. Uh, Big Twelve is not is not strong at linebacker, um, so right. really, yeah, Clay, yeah, he's, just not. Clay Johnson. He's got some nice highlights. I think when you watch Baylor, he's the guy who stands out the most on their defense. Um, but if I'm going to be totally honest with you, over the course of the season, I fully expect someone that we're not really familiar with yet uh, from TCU or Texas probably to overtake him. Okay, and then the next two linebackers on the media's preseason poll are two guys that are just not on my team. And we begin with Iowa State's Marcel Spears Jr. Grant, is he on your he team? He most certainly is on my team. He is? Okay. Yes. So you agree with the media, Marcel Spears. Why? Why do you have him on the team? Well, I think Marcel Spears, he is part of the best duo of linebackers in the Big 12. The guy has just been, he's been around for a long time. He's productive. Um, he's, he's great in the box. And I don't know how much of his success has to do with the guy who is next to him, who is most certainly on my team as well, who we'll get to. Um, but really, this is all about um, Iowa State just being great in the front seven. And Marcel Spears okay. is, is a returner. and He's he's just a good player. He's he's a guy that is very obvious, is a focal point of Iowa State's defense when you watch them. Yeah, he's really good. And the last linebacker, obviously, that the media selected is Kenneth Murray, because obviously he was the defensive player of the year. So... He goes, Clay Johnston, Marcel Spears, Kenneth Murray for the media. Now, for you, Grant, you got Johnston, you got Spears, and you kind of alluded to the next guy you have. Who is your third linebacker? Mike Rose, and I think Mike Rose is the best linebacker in the Big 12, and he was a true freshman last season. I'd, I just I was so impressed with his instincts, him always being in the right spot. He's just a really good player, and I can imagine that him taking that step from his – his true freshman season up to being a sophomore is going to be a pretty massive step. Um, this is a guy, Lee, I would not be surprised as the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. All right. I also have Mike Rose on my all-Big 12 preseason team. It's it's a shock that he's not one of the three linebackers the media put on. I mean, he was the third highest graded Big 12 linebacker returning from last year. Uh, as a freshman last year, you mentioned him. He was honorable mention all-Big 12. He, Yeah, it's just it's incredible. Like I was... I remember going to that Iowa State game, kind of watching tape and thinking, man, Joel Lanning was was so good at them in the middle a season ago in 2017. It's like, man, they're going to have a true freshman linebacker there in the, mid the middle. He stepped in for Joel Lanning at Mike as and was better than Lanning was immediately. Better. Yeah. He is I mean, he was so much yeah. better and he was he was great. I thought by far the most noticeable and impactful player on the best defense in the conference last season. And so, all right, so your linebackers are Johnston, Spears, and Rose. Uh, mine is uh, 
Johnston, Rose. And my third linebacker is Texas Tech's Jordan Brooks. He was an honorable mention All-Big 12 player last year. He was the leader in tackles from Texas Tech. He's just he's a veteran guy. It's his senior season, and he had the highest PFF grade of any returning linebackers in the conference this year at 77.9. So Jordan Brooks uh, going to take the the spot of Dakota Allen, or he's going to pick up wherever he left off. And you know you don't think of Texas Tech as defense, but Jordan Brooks is a nice player, and I have him as my third linebacker. Uh, Jordan Brooks was. Um would have been fourth in line for me on here. I just, I, it's really hard for me to put a Texas Tech defender on this team. And, and, le- and unless he is just, unless he is so demonstrably outstanding. Um, and Jordan Brooks is just, is not that guy. He's a good player, but he's not demonstrably outstanding. That's fine. That's fine. All right. So, Grant, I want to have you t- take the reins here for the defensive backs. There's five defensive backs and I have not had enough time to really do a whole lot of I put it this way I did this team last week and I had all these things in front of me but I didn't take notes on a lot of these guys so I was gonna do that today and I I got through the defensive linemen and the linebackers but I didn't really get all my notes on the the d-backs so tell us who the defensive backs are on the media's team and I'm gonna kind of frantically kind of quickly just Find some backup info on some of these guys I have here. Surely. So the first one listed here is the uh, safety from Iowa State, Greg Eisworth. Uh, he is on my preseason team. Lee, is he on your team? Absolutely. Yeah. Greg Eisworth was awesome. This is a guy I would love to have on OU's defense. <laughs> my goodness. He's just a guy. He's, he, he's your typical glue guy. He just doesn't make mistakes. And he's always in the right spot. He's a sure tackler. Um one of the most underrated parts about his game, Lee, he's really good at disguising coverage, which is a massive deal in the Big 12. Uh, this is a guy who I think, along with Caden Stearns, it's sort of a toss-up of uh, who is the best safety in the Big 12. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it makes it even more great, though, too. Is uh, I remember one of the, the big touchdown passes that Murray had against Iowa State where he threw it deep to Hollywood, and uh, it was a really nice job by by Kyler kind of recognizing what they were trying to do. It was Eisworth who was the guy that was always coming down into the box and he vacated the middle of the field. So it was kind of nice for the Oklahoma pulling over on Eisworth on that play based on the way they were playing it. But yeah, I mean, he was a you know, first team, all big 12 guy last year. He was the big 12 newcomer of the year in 2018. He's, he's a really good player. God, he would have I mean, made OU's defense so much better last year. Just, just him like playing center field. <laughs> All right, so move on to the next guy on the media's team. Next guy, Lee, is the Oklahoma State corner, A.J. Green. He is on my team. Is he on yours? He's not on my team. Oh, he was in my, very uh, interesting. He was my, my next, like he was going to be the next kind of guy. If, but no, I did not include A.J. Green. Uh, tell us why A.J. Green's on your team. Uh, Lee, I think A.J. Green is probably the most talented corner in the Big 12. I just really like his length, his size, and his physicality. I will, I will fully concede that he can throw some stinkers out there he's had games where he has not been very good but he's had games where he's been flat out dominance and the one that comes to mind is is when he just completely shut out um uh what's his name last year dude from west virginia why is that escaping oh, me um, right now Sills. yeah sills. david sills i that's that's really bad Jeez. yeah he he completely rendered david sills basically dead last year when oklahoma state played west virginia and um he's got he's his length, his athleticism, his physicality, I think is something that is in that is kind of a premium in the Big 12. 
And that's a guy that I'd like to go go to war with. If if you gotta if you gotta beat up some receivers, he's the guy in the conference that I want. All right. Who's the next guy in the media? Jeff Gladney, corner from TCU. He is on my team. Is he on yours? Yes, he is most certainly on my team. And a little bit of a tease, he is one of two TCU defensive backs that's on my team. And Gladney, yeah, I mean, he apparently he was one of the honestly I don't remember a whole lot from TCU because they just were not very good last year but he was a good player and I got to use pro football focus but and you may have seen this stat as well he only allowed a reception every 16 and a half coverage snaps in 2018 which was the best in the big 12 out of all cornerbacks and so that means every 16 and a half pass plays basically then there's one catch against him that's it it's like oh wow I mean in this day and age where there's so much throwing that's Really impressive. So Gladney's definitely on my on my list. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, uh, he's he's by far the best returning cover corner in the league. Um, like you mentioned, he was a pro football focus. He was a first teamer last season uh, for pro football focus. Lee, a 46.9 passer rating when targeted. Um, that is elite. That is that is elite in the country. Uh, he's good. He's a, he's a really good player. Looks like TCU, they have they got some they got a couple guys in the secondary who are going to who are going to cause some problems this year. Uh, but certainly Gladney kind of carries the torch as as probably the best defensive back in the Big 12 heading into this season. All right, who's next? Let's see here. Caden Stearns, safety at Texas. He's on my team. Is he on yours? He is on my team. Yes. And so, you know, I like I said, I think I, I thought he was going to be the media's pick to be the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, and I think he can be if he puts up you know numbers or he makes a lot of impactful plays or whatever. He certainly was very impactful as a freshman, made a lot of game changing plays. Um, I think you know if if you put a gun to my head, I think Brandon Jones, the senior safety at Texas, probably had a better season than Stearns did last year. Um, but a lot of this is going with talent and potential, and I think Stearns is 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 an elite uh, maybe a potential to be an elite level player in the big 12 yeah i don't have a whole lot of thoughts on stearns he's one of the guys i just didn't have time to really do a whole lot of uh, I, I had research on but it was more of like one of those things where i know he, he had a nice season last year and he's kind of one of those guys I'll, I'll admit i was lazy with it and just kind of threw him in there as a guy without doing a whole lot of research but i think it's defendable uh, and you mentioned too you thought he, he might have been the big 12 defensive player of the year by the media and, and he wasn't so uh, yeah, so Stearns is on my team. So what do we have? One more guy left? One more. The uh, the media's last pick for defensive back was Adrian Fry, the sophomore corner from Texas Tech. He is most certainly not on my team. Is he on your team, Lee? No. And honestly, I have never heard of the guy. I don't remember him at all from last year when Oklahoma played him. He is there for one reason. He led the Big 12 in interceptions. That is it. He's one of those oh. guys. Okay. Well, good interceptions are good. Interceptions are good, but it it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good defensive back. So, yeah, he is not on my team. So let's see. I have let me look at the team. I think I had there's two players on my team that aren't on this team because I have Eisworth. I have Gladney and I have Stearns. And I just have one. I I just have one guy in place of uh, Adrian Fry. All right. So I'll since you only have one, I'll I'll pause and, and. I'll go first. So I mentioned I had another TCU player. My other TCU player on this list is the other corner opposite of Gladney, Julius Lewis. And he was right behind Gladney in that stat I said earlier about receptions per coverage snaps. He was right behind Gladney. It might be the, the it's probably the best cornerback duo in the Big 12. 
And that impressed me, that number. I mean, we'll see how this goes at the end of the year. But So I, I had Lewis in there, another corner, and I like corners. I'm kind of biased. So I threw him in there as my other pick on this Big 12 preseason team. Lee, I actually had a uh, I had a different TCU player in there before I actually took him off a couple days ago uh, after reading yeah Ennis Gaines um he and he, he's kind of their nickel corner and uh, yeah. yeah he's a guy uh, he he's good he, he he's a guy who it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's if if he's a first teamer at the end of the season as well and uh, okay so who was your your fifth defensive back that was not on the media's team. This is one I, I actually I went. I'm glad that we uh, that we held off on doing the defense last week because I, I wanted to get this guy on the team, and I actually thought about putting him in as the third linebacker. To be honest with you, um, but because he's kind of he's kind of that hybrid safety linebacker. Leon, that's Iowa State's Braxton Lewis. Um, I I just think he's one of the most underrated players in the league. He had four mm-hmm. interceptions last season. Um, Iowa State asked him to do a lot. He's up around the line, the line of scrimmage a lot. If you want to see a good game, turn on that that film of Iowa State just demolishing West Virginia's offense. Braxton Lewis is in on every single play, um, and like how it is with a lot of Iowa State players, he just doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He's really solid. Um, he was the he was the Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Week when they played against Oklahoma State last year. Um, and like I said, he's that hybrid safety linebacker that is just essential in the Big Twelve. He's a sure tackler. He is always where he's supposed to be, and that is not always a given in this conference, and I think that's incredibly valuable. Yeah, he's a good player. I mean, you could almost just name an Iowa State guy, and I'll probably just nod my head and say, yep, I'll, yeah, I'll buy that. And he's up, and he's up there with the, with the highest you know, graded returning members of the secondary, too. And he was a, he, he was a pro football-focused uh, All-Big 12 second-team pick last year. All right, my, uh, you know, we're going to talk about the all-pro football-focused All-Big 12 team. Well, my final defensive back is a guy from a team that's terrible. That's Kansas. Bryce Tornaden. And you know what? As I've gone through all of these pro football focus articles and tweets and things like that, and you can take it or leave it. I, I believe I think it's a, a good it's a good rating system. I, I believe a lot of their stuff. It seems like Kansas only wins in these pro football focus rankings because Joe Deneen had a really high grade. This Tornenden guy had a really high grade. He made the the first team. He had 33 total solo stops last season, which was second among all safeties in the Big 12. Uh, this guy also had the highest grade of any returning safeties in the Big 12 at 77.9. So even though Kansas is not very good, apparently this guy graded out really well. And he's a good tackler. Remember that whole defensive stops thing I used with Kenneth Murray and trying to gives him some positive stuff well Bryce Tornadin was third in returning uh, defensive backs coming back with 33 defensive stops only Eisworth and uh, OSU's Malcolm Rodriguez good for him had more actually he was tied with uh, Rodriguez so Kansas yeah he he's my last guy Tornadin so keep an eye out for him I guess this upcoming fall <laughs> yeah no was he ever no. not gonna be on no, no. It seems like you really uh if it's Kansas or Texas Tech, you just you don't even give them uh, the time of day when it comes to defense. No, I mean I I put Dakota Which Allen on there I, last year. I think Dakota Allen's okay. a good player. Like I mean, All right, well. it's not. I I I think I put Jeno, or Joe Deneen on there as well. He was a good player, but like I no, I'm not gonna put a safety from Kansas, a guy I've never heard of before, who played on a really bad defense. 
If Kansas had if Kansas had that many like actually highly graded players on their defense, they they wouldn't have been so terrible. You know? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean I maybe, saw that too. Not. I'm pretty sure Kansas had the two had the two had the two first team safeties like on the on the Pro Football Focus. So, yeah, I mean if you yeah, if if, if you want to if you want to dig on Pro Football Focus, you can use that as as evidence sure. right there. Sure. Just All a, right. a oh, joke of a football program. All right. So, that's the all Big Twelve team. The last one is uh, the punter, and you get in front of your ground. I just clicked out of it. What's let's see, who's the all Big Twelve punter? Kyle Thompson from Kansas. He gets a lot of work, so that makes sense. All right, and uh, he's on my team too. And what I, about you? I, I didn't, I didn't pick a punter because who? I mean, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> no, he had a really good season. If, like you said, he has a lot of opportunities. Too. If you're punting a lot, your team sucks. <laughs> All right, so that's the entire media's preseason Big 12 team. What are the – actually, I mean, there's not a whole lot of, like, egregious things, but I'd say – and I'll let you jump in after me. I mean, I'd say the, the biggest oversights, obviously, Neville Gallimore should be on this team. He's not. That's, that's bad. Mike Rowe should be on this team. He is not. And that's basically it. I can't think of uh, – secondary is pretty fair, I'd say. Uh I think, but um, I, Rose and Gallimore are the two most egregious uh, players who were left. Yeah, off. I agree. I, I think the defense, for the most part, is fine. Um, I, you know, I, I would really disagree with Adrian Fry being in there, but um, you know, a lot, a lot of people do. I mean, when, when you see that he led the conference in interceptions, I understand. I guess, even though that's not the greatest, uh, the greatest gauge there. Um, other than that, if just moving up to offense. Um, we didn't really go through that, but it's it's essentially the same as ours last uh, last week. Um, Sam Cosme not being on there is 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 very wrong. He's probably the second best offensive lineman in the Big Twelve. Uh, Zach Shackelford being on there is incorrect. He he should not be on there. I think you mentioned uh, you figured Shackelford would be on there ahead of Creed Humphrey. Yeah, that's what that's what I but guessed. They yeah. both made the team. Yeah, that's that's uh, kind of surprises me. So you were you were correct on the receivers. It was Lamb, Wallace, and Rager. I went with Colin Johnson just based on a, uh, is it based on how the, it was going to play out? But I mean, totally fair to have Rager there. I think yeah, he's a better. Rager's player. a better player. Yeah. Uh, so offensive line, really, that's the only. Uh, I want to talk about kicker, Cameron Dicker. I figured it would be Cameron Dicker as the the media's pick for kicker, even though we each had the guy from I think West Virginia. Yeah, because he was because he made like ninety percent of his field goals between forty and forty nine yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was he's better. And um, C D Lamb as the kick returner punt returner, I thought was incredibly lazy on the on the parts of the media because he yeah he returned punts, but I mean I just I just thought more Trey Brown as a returner for Oklahoma last year than C D yeah, Lamb. See, he's kind he, of a he's kind of a cheeky little punt returner. He like he's. That was he's good. He had good. that one yeah. long return against uh, UCLA. It was the ge- UCLA was basically the game where Trey Brown had a long return, and so did CD. So I thought that was kind of interesting to see in there. And I just realized, uh, and also Sam Ellinger was the quarterback, as we all we thought he would be, and Ellinger is the offensive player of the year for the media, which is not surprising. Uh, but we forgot to mention Grant our picks for defensive player of the year. And we both talked about Kenneth Murray at length. We don't agree with that. Grant, who is your preseason Big 12 defensive player of the year? Well, I, I, I mean, I had trouble picking this one, and so I just, like, I tried to go logic on this. Um, I, actually, I, went with, I went with Jaquan Bailey uh, with Iowa State just because I think Iowa State is going to have the best defense in the conference, and I think he's probably going to put up 
productive numbers. Um, let's say he had eight sacks last year. Let's say he let's say he 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 beats that by two sacks, and he has he has double digit sacks this year at ten. And Iowa State has like a pretty decent, a, a really good season as the top defense in the conference. You know, people are going to really like that ten sack number, and I think Jaquan Bailey has a pretty good chance of getting there. And so I, I think I think that's. You know, typically that's what people are looking for. They're just looking for the big number there, and I think Bailey probably has the best chance to get that on the defensive line. So that's why I went with him. I, I don't think he is the best defensive player in the conference, um, but I'm just—that's me just making a, a prediction. All right, my preseason Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year is also an Iowa State player, and it is linebacker Mike Rose, a guy that didn't even make the preseason media All Big Twelve team. And he is the guy that just makes this defense go. I mean, he is so good. And, I, you know, Bailey's a good pick, too. Uh, my thought process on the Defensive Player of the Year is similar to kind of your process has been with filling out this team. I thought, I basically thought, you know what, Iowa State's defense is either going to be the best or second best defense in the Big 12, probably. Somebody from that team needs to be the Defensive Player of the Year. And so I went with that, who I think is the best player on that defense, and that's Mike Rose. Yep. And he's, he's, he's young. I mean, he's getting not for being young, I think. So, I mean, there's like, we're just not sure. Maybe he will have a sophomore slump. Who knows? I think that's probably why he wasn't on this team. But uh, he's my guy for Big Twelve Player uh, Defensive Player of the Year. And and he again, I I can't say enough thing uh, positive things about Rose. He's just he's, he's man, good. He is so good. Yeah, I just I, I remember when we were watching. Um, I, I just remember watching when we were preparing. You know, for for OU playing Iowa State last year. And if you guys remember, Iowa State had only played one game going into that, and that that's when they were on the road at Iowa. I watched every second of that game, and I just remember seeing Mike Rose in the middle, thinking, "Jeez, man, they they replaced Joel Lanning just like that, and this guy's better." And yeah, like he, I mean, he was yeah. he was obviously the best player on their defense in game one last year. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he definitely stood out immediately. All right, so those are our uh, all Big Twelve defensive teams. Again, the media poll doesn't come out until Wednesday this week. We don't know the media poll, so we'll save that for next week. And uh, all right, that was uh, that was fun. That's pretty good. Moving on to a topic that, well, we didn't have a lot of information on when I, we started recording this podcast, but uh, it just came out as we we're recording this on Twitter. And this is from Jason Kersey of The Athletic. And Jason's a good reporter, he used to report at the Oklahoman in Oklahoma City. Now he's with The Athletic. Uh, and he tweeted today and he has a story out right now on July 9th about running back Kennedy Brooks and previously today Kersey tweeted that Brooks was not with the team and he credited Brandon Drum as well of 247 uh, for breaking the news first okay so that that was all the public information we had up until about 10 minutes ago and now Jason has broken a story and I'll read the headline I'll read his tweet and then I'm going to toss it over to Grant for more information Jason Kersey of The Athletic reports, Kennedy Brooks is expected to return to the Oklahoma football team tomorrow. So that would be Wednesday, July 10th, if you're listening to this, so the day this podcast comes out. So uh, Brooks expected to return to the Oklahoma football team tomorrow following the conclusion of a Title IX investigation. Brooks was suspended while the investigation played out. The Title IX office ruled in Brooks's favor Tuesday. Uh, that'd be Tuesday, July 9th. So Grant... Uh, you have more information from Jason's story. What do you have there? Yeah, and so I'm going to read this directly from Jason's story. This is from The Athletic, and I know it's a, a subscription service, so, you know, um, 
I'll, I'll use this as a plug. If you don't have an athletic subscription, you should absolutely go get one. It is, it's by far the best sports journalism out there right now. They're, they're not just, you know, blowing steam up your, up, up your rear end. It's really good stuff. Uh, it's 100% worth it. Um, this is, this is going to be information that's going to be circulated. So I, I don't think this is, this is not extremely premium content or anything like that, but I'm just going to read a couple paragraphs from his story here. Here we go. So Oklahoma running back Kennedy Brooks is expected to return to the team Wednesday following the conclusion of a Title IX investigation that kept Brooks suspended for the summer. The OU Title IX office cleared Brooks of any violation in an investigation that concluded on Tuesday. Multiple people familiar with the investigation told The Athletic that a female OU student alleged in a Title IX complaint earlier this summer that Brooks was physically violent toward her. Brooks, a Dallas-area native, remained in Norman while the investigation played out and worked out at a local high school. The alleged victim did not file a complaint with the police, instead filing a complaint with the Title IX office. A a complaint triggers an investigation entirely separate from any legal proceedings. The complainant and respondent are entitled to legal counsel that can be present but cannot participate directly in any meetings or hearings. And then he goes on just to kind of explain the Title IX process and then talks about... uh, you know, the impact that Kennedy Brooks would have on the team. And so uh, it's sci- it sounds likely that this has been taken care of. And without, you know, any more information, sounds pretty similar to what happened with Rodney Anderson before the Rose Bowl. Uh, I'm not so sure if it's exactly like or close to the Rodney Anderson thing, because I do remember that in the Rodney Anderson situation, the woman did go to the police. And uh, I remember the DA got involved and decided not to file any charges against Rodney Anderson. So I think the police were involved with that. So in this scenario, though, it sounds like so the police were not involved, just the school, just the Title IX aspect of it. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's that's correct. So yeah, according if I'm, to Jason's reporting. Yep. Yeah. If yeah, if, if I'm mistaken on that, I apologize. So I I, I had misremembered that, but um, yeah, and if, I mean, I suppose if. I, it takes quite a bit of evidence in your favor, I think, to get cleared by the Title IX office. If anybody is has, has kind of read into that process at all. So, um, I don't know. Uh, sounds pretty open and shut. They're saying that he's going to be back with the team on Wednesday with the day that we're releasing this podcast. So story over maybe let's hope. Yeah, for sure. uh, And obviously, I mean, if it's, you know, the, the, the alleged victim said that, you know, he, he, he had physically struck her. Hopefully I, I hope, you know, I hope that's not true because that would be awful. Obviously. Of course. Yeah. Let's move on to some of these other ancillary topics. Let's see. I'm trying to remember if there's anything else going on. Um, Big 12 media day. Attend- oh, do you have any thoughts on that, by the way? Uh, my opening take was about how there's only two quarterbacks that's going to be at Big 12 football media days. Uh, OU is going to bring C.D. Lamb, Creed Humphrey, Nick Basquin, Neville Gallimore, and Kenneth Murray. Well, I mean, I think it's so, just. Uh, well, I mean, I don't really have any thoughts on who Oklahoma is bringing. It doesn't surprise me that Jalen Hurts isn't going to be there. This is this is the same bit that they pulled last year, and that's okay. That's fine. Um, you know, this is Jalen Hurts is the starter. That's it's obvious. I if it was me, I would just go ahead and 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 bring him there. But you know, Lincoln Riley has his system and and what he does, and that's fine. Um, but other than that, yeah, with the with only the two quarterbacks going, I, I think that really does just show. I think I think the Big Twelve is really going to suck this year, and I, I'm not going to mince <laughs> any words there. And I think that's that's pretty consistent with this conference is that you know in the down years it's usually when the quarterbacks aren't great or when there's a lot of turnover at the quarterback position. And so I, I mean I think 
I, I think spots, you know, seven through ten, the, the bottom four in the conference this year have a chance to be really bad. And I know there's a lot of people who are kind of bullish maybe on Texas Tech just because they, you know, they bring back a lot of experience on the offensive line and whatnot. Man, Texas Tech's going to suck this year. I, I'm just, I, I'm saying it right now. Like that, the, bot, the bottom half of this conference is not going to be good at all. I'm not so sure why Charlie Brewer from Baylor is not going to be there because he's got to be pretty obviously their starter. And I think he's going to his junior year. I'm just That was one that was pretty surprising. I, can, I guess Brock Purdy's probably not going because he's so young. They're going to you know, reward an upperclassman. But uh, hey, those are the it's, two It's Ellinger and who else is going? Uh, Skylar Thompson from oh, yeah. K-State. He is not good. <laughs> he's, I mean... Now that Delton's gone, I mean he's the he's the man. I mean he's, so, he's hey, certainly better than Delton, but you know. Yeah, well, we'll see. I he's, mean, I, he's not a guy who who strikes fear into your heart at all. Yeah, I'd be kind of. Oh, by the way, we're gonna we're not doing any of those opponent previews again today. If you haven't already caught on to that, we we're just gonna we're so much to talk about. We're just skipping that again today. So I think Kansas State's our next one. Uh, I I think I yeah whatever. Uh, but Kansas State's somewhat interesting because of the new coaching staff, and they have all that success at North Dakota State. I kind of feel I'm like intrigued by that. Yeah, I kind of feel like when we talk about Kansas State, we'll probably spend most of the time talking about North Dakota State. But <laughs> yeah, tells you everything you need, everything you need to know about Kansas State. So a couple of topics that we didn't get to last week because we ran out of time. Let's let's get to them briefly this week. And this happened a while back, almost a month ago, June nineteenth. So Baker Mayfield was on Sports Talk 1400, a radio station in Norman, and it's a station that I have actually uh, been on, by the way. So that was that's great. Nice to know that uh, I, I get invited on to some radio stations every once in a while because it's cool that not just people that listen to West of Everest want to hear what I have to say. Some people on the radio do too. But anyways, uh, Mayfield was on that radio uh, station and took some shots at Sam Ellinger. And I'm everyone listening to this knows this story, but we haven't talked about it yet. Uh, here's what Mayfield said. He said, uh, on if Texas could contend for a national title. Mayfield said, quote, they said the same thing when they beat Notre Dame a couple of years ago and they won like three games after that. I'm sick of that crap, end quote. <laughs> uh, and then uh, just for some background, Sam Ellinger played football in high school at Westlake and Mayfield played at Lake Travis. Apparently they're pretty big rivals there in Austin or in you know big school Texas football, high school football. And so Mayfield had a comment on that. He said, quote, he couldn't beat Lake Travis, so I don't really care about his opinion on winning. Westlake is a great program, but the two best quarterbacks to come out of there are Drew Brees and Nick Foles. Sam can stay down there in Texas, end quote. And then he added, quote, that will stir the pot. He doesn't like me, and I hope he knows I don't like him either, end quote. <laughs> so that's all the stuff that Baker Mayfield said. Again, we haven't commented on this. Figure we'd talk about it on this podcast, because why not? Uh Grant, I'll open up the floor to you. What is Mayfield doing here? Okay, well, so let me let me preface this just by by bringing up that first quote where he's talking about Notre Dame and how they only won three games after that. That's hilarious. That's a that's gold. <laughs> that's really good. Um, other than that, by the way, hey, by the way, he said three games. Uh, Texas won four games the rest of that 2016 season after beating Notre Dame in Week One. God, so that's he hilarious. Was, he was a little off, but but close. <laughs> Okay, but you know, other than that, but once once Ellinger came up, I just it's man, come, what is what is he doing? Like, ser- like cut this crap out. There's, well, I, 
I have no idea why Sam Ellinger is even on Baker Mayfield's radar at all. <laughs> like he's not not even not even a quarter of the player that Baker is. Never will be. Will never have the success he is. Baker's sitting there. He's in the NFL trying to win a Super Bowl. Why on earth are you talking about Sam Ellinger? Who cares about Sam Ellinger if you're Baker Mayfield? And I know this is kind of his bit, but this this is one of those things you just don't even touch. This is dumb. This is really dumb. Yeah, I think it's pretty dumb too that that this is his bit. But this is clearly brand, uh, Mayfield staying on brand. And yeah, the Ellinger part it just shows to me that Mayfield he not only cares about Oklahoma a ton. I mean, this guy still cares deeply about high school rivalries. <laughs> this is a high school thing. I mean, obviously it's a high school and college thing because he Ellinger plays at Texas, another huge rival. But I mean, because he talked about Westlake and uh, what was the other school? Uh, Westlake. Lake Travis. Where, uh, Lake Travis, yeah. where Mayfield played. Yeah, I mean, he talked about that. I mean, he talked about high school stuff. I, the, menta- the mentality for Mayfield is similar to a guy whose best days were in high school. But this is Baker Mayfield. I mean, he's still probably got his best days ahead of him. So it's it's pretty bizarre. And he's just staying on brand, like I said. Uh, you know, and Also this, too. I was thinking about this. There could be some behind-the-scenes stuff between Ellinger and Mayfield that we just don't know about. Like, Ellinger, he's not a choir boy after all. I mean, he made fun of Orlando Brown's 14 bench press reps at the Combine last year. And then Ellinger and Kyler Murray got into a bit of a verbal shouting match after the OU Texas game last year, the first one, when Texas won. So there could be some of that where, you know, Kyler and Baker may have talked and, you know, Baker didn't like that. So, I mean, there could be some behind the scenes stuff that we don't know about. But still, like, you're right. I mean, Baker Mayfield should not really care about Sam Ellinger. But I mean, again, like, that's, honestly, that's what, he, that's what he does. If if he wanted to like if he wanted to talk smack or throw shade or whatever the kids are saying these days, when Sam Ellinger came up, he should have said who? That That's what it should have been. That if, if, if he really, really wanted to talk smack, that's all it should have been, because that's really what Sam Ellinger should be to Baker Mayfield right now. Oh, man. So. All right. Well, I have nothing else really to add on that. But yeah, I, I did want to put that like that's. I don't know that that bit with Mayfield doesn't really sit well with me. I mean, he's gonna do what he does. He's an adult. He can do her, you know, do what he wants. But it's kind of lame. That's all I'm saying. All right, the last thing on the show today is a homework assignment that you gave me now a couple of weeks ago. And if you're not interested in any sort of outside Oklahoma football talk, then then we bid you adieu because we're gonna talk about the Florida State program and Willie Taggart a little bit because. As you mentioned before on this podcast, Grant, we that's kind of a bit last year, kind of ripping on Florida State and Willie Taggart because they were just so laughably bad, and we just were not very impressed with that hire. And so there was a Bleacher Report article that came out by Matt Hayes a couple of weeks ago that explains Jimbo Fisher left the Florida State program in shambles. Therefore, it's unfair to blame Willie Taggart fully for FSU's horrible 2018 season. I mean, that's the... I think that's the two-sentence or one-sentence gist of that story. Would you say that, Grant? Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so I'm glad that I could break that down into a, a pretty quick kind of thesis statement there. So I suppose the question then comes, is next, is like, were we too hard on Willie Taggart last year, right? I mean, that's, after reading this article, I mean, were we? And I guess... My notes aren't that great for this, and I'm kind of rambling, but I'll, I'll throw it over to you, Grant. Since this was your idea, you don't want to talk about this, I'll 
throw it to you. Kind of what are your initial thoughts on on this story? I mean, if you haven't read it, go read it. We'll we'll kind of go through a couple of the the main points here, but I'll let you start. Well, real, I mean, the 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 main gist of the article is that. Um, Basically, Jimbo Fisher didn't care at all about academics and let guys do whatever they wanted. And it all started with him letting Jameis Winston get away with every, whatever he wanted. And it, you know, it, it turned into like a cultural problem at Florida State. But really, when you actually read the article, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty long article. Pretty much the entire thing is about academics. That's really all it's about, which leads me to believe that this, this story almost certainly came from Willie Taggart's camp. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Because they don't even really, in the story, they don't even talk about the 2018 football team at all and, like, what went wrong on the field. a little bit. No, not really. I mean, it's all just about, it's all just about, oh, guys are going to class now, and, you know, when I first got here, people would complain a lot, but now when we we run them a lot in the offseason, they're not saying anything anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I don't know. I I just thought it was interesting that Willie Taggart's a terrible coach. Oh, a terrible guy. Yeah, this is this is going to go very poorly for them. The, I mean, unless unless uh, Kendall Bryles saves his job, basically. So I feel like at this point you need to bring up stats to back up your claim that he's a terrible coach because I know before last season, I think overall in his career he was under five hundred, like well under five hundred. And last year they went five and seven uh, in his first year. So there's a couple of, of things to show how terrible 2018 Florida State was. It was the first losing season in Tallahassee in four decades. Four decades. Uh, the FSU's NCAA record 36-year bowl streak was snapped. And then you mentioned the academics. FSU had the worst academic performance among Power 5 schools, according to that article. And so that's why a lot of it was about academics. And there's some parts in there about how, like, hey, if you look back to Jimbo Fisher's last year, only reason why they got bowl eligible was because they played some makeup game late in the year against a bad team and won to become bowl eligible. And if it wasn't for that, Jimbo Fisher's last year would have been the year where that all these, you know, this bowl streak was snapped and they would have had a losing season. So they kind of qualified it a little bit like that. It's like, okay, you know what? That's it's fair to bring that up. I mean, that's the only reason why FSU played a bowl game, uh, Jimbo Fisher's last year. And they mentioned that you mentioned the the problems with Fisher with coddling players, mainly Jameis Winston. There's a a quote in the story saying that there was a mentality of, quote, just keeping players eligible under Jimbo Fisher. And the sources in this story, by the way, Grant, were, according to the writer, were, I think, former FSU assistants. So, I mean, that's pretty good sourcing, I would say. I mean, if these are assistants that coached underneath Jimbo Fisher, that's the implication of that. Uh, And also, too, a part of it that was kind of interesting to me because we think of Jimbo Fisher as a really good coach, right? And kind of a quarterback type whisperer. I don't know if I'd go that far, but a guy that, I mean, he's making Kellen Mond. I thought Kellen Mond took a big step last year under Jimbo Fisher, but a big problem with Jimbo Fisher, according to this article was poor quarterback recruiting. And they list all these quarterbacks over the years. And you look at him like, gosh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's some, uh, there's some misses here, Grant. I don't know if you, if you, I mean, you saw that, but did well, yeah. that stand out to you in the story? Well, sure, but I don't. This is at quarterback. But they've also been elite recruiters everywhere else on the field, on the defensive line, yeah. on defense. I mean, this is the 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 caliber of players they've been bringing in. Five and seven is completely unacceptable. Yeah. And I, so, I, I Willie Taggart has failed up in his entire career. The guy is the the best season I, I he's pretty much ever had has been at Western Kentucky, like when they went nine and three. Other than that, he's 
Other than that, like he's had some truly. That's not true. His best truly- season was. His best season was uh, 2016 at South Florida. His last year at South Florida, they were 10 and two. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Oops, that was after. I think that was after he had some of the worst teams in college football at South Florida. He had his first two years at South Florida. They were two and ten, then four and eight, and then in 2015 they were eight and five. In 2016 they were ten and two, and then after two years of success, after two years of uh, losing, he got that job at Oregon. And so Willie Taggart. You know, he was at Western Kentucky for three seasons. He was two and ten, then seven and five, and seven and five. All right, so I mean, there's some improvement. Uh, and then at South Florida, he was two and ten, four and eight, then eight and five, and ten and two. First year at Oregon, they were seven and five in 2017. In his first year at Florida State, they were five and seven. He's just he's just never had like a very good football team. So it's just I and he he had, he had always been sort of brought up for like a candidate at really big jobs, and I just I don't understand. I mean. I'm sure you could argue it's like, oh well, the you know all of the situations that he went into were terrible and stuff like that. Sure, that's fine. I guess that's fair, but that doesn't that doesn't excuse the fact that he's never had a very good football team that he's coached. I just, I and just. What does it say too that he's a offensive coach, and yet they brought in Kendall Bryles, and I'm sure Kendall Bryles will probably be the main guy. I mean, he's almost kind of taking a backseat to him. I mean, they their offense at Florida State last year was was downright awful. I mean, they they were bad. It's brutal. And it's brutal. It, and so, like the the analogy I like to always make there is is like, what if what if Oklahoma's offense was was bad? I mean, that's like that's Lincoln Riley's thing. You know, I mean, his thing is offense. And I know he's the best in college football, so that's probably not the best example because he is the best. He's elite. Um, but I always like to use that with Jim Harbaugh. I mean, Jim Harbaugh's an offensive guy, and now after all these years, as you brought up a couple podcasts ago, he's he's giving it to somebody else. He's giving his offense to somebody else. He says, "Yeah, my offense is not working the way it needs to be. Like, here, here's somebody else to run the offense. Like that. That's not a good sign. Whenever your thing uh, is is offense, and yet the defense for Michigan is always seemingly really good, but the offense has always kind of been, eh. you know. I, I, I just and for Florida State last year, Willie Taggart's thing is offense, and the offense was not that good. And now they bring in a new offensive coordinator. Uh, I, there was one quote that just blew my mind, Grant. That this is the last thing I want to do on this story, and we'll we'll be done probably for the day." Uh, it's an absurd quote from uh, from James Blackman, the projected starting quarterback this upcoming season for Florida State, and he played a little bit last year. And did he? I don't know if he played a little bit in 2017 too. Maybe maybe not. Uh, but here's a quote from from James Blackman that I just thought was like, oh my gosh, this is insane to me. It says, "Quote: This is from the story. What people don't understand is I was never really coached to play the position. He's a quarterback. I was never really coached to play the position before I got to Florida State." Blackman says. I used to search YouTube and watch other quarterbacks play the game and try to learn from it. It was a big step for me to even be at Florida State. Jimbo did a great job helping me, sticking me with, uh, sticking me, sticking with me throughout the season, so I didn't go out there and embarrass myself. I learned a lot from him about playing the position from Jimbo Fisher. I, so, how is this guy that was never really coached up to play quarterback before even recruited to Florida State? That blows my mind. Like, how, what did he? Yikes. I, I kind of watched some of his high school like huddle whatever and it looked to me like it was just straight up like oh this guy's pretty athletic like he can kind of run and like he's but certainly like certainly if his first read wasn't there he was pulling down and running and Jimbo Fisher brought him in and, and I know he got thrown into the fire earlier because was it it was two years ago when Francois got injured right 
But um, that was Fisher's. Fish, that was Fisher's last year there, though. Yeah, that was their last season. Yeah, and I mean, so this is what yeah. I, like. I'm Jimbo Fisher did not leave the cupboard bare at Florida State. You know, Florida State had a ton of injuries in 2017, which was Fisher's last season. They started that season as a top three team preseason in the country. You only do that if you have a ton of talent on your team. They didn't have a lot of turnover the next season with with Willie Taggart and Lee. This is not like they weren't even competitive in any of their losses last year. Oh, I'm sorry. They were competitive in one of their seven losses last year. Other oh. than that, here I mean, here here's some of their losses. They lost by three touchdowns of Virginia Tech, a, a, a below-average Virginia Tech team. They lost by 23 at Syracuse. They lost, they lost by one against a, a bad Miami team. They lost by 49 to Clemson at home. They lost by 19 to North Carolina State. They lost by 29 to, North, to, to Notre Dame. And then at home against Florida, their biggest rival, they just got freaking smoked on senior day, 41-14. to I mean, this is that's the team wasn't even competitive last year. Oh uh, yeah, it was it was not a good team. It was a fun team to to gamble against. I'll tell you that, especially early on in the year when they were, you know, they were like favorites against Syracuse. I mean, they were like double digit favorites against Syracuse. You know, on the road, and it was like, oh my gosh, this is like free money. I remember I took like I remember I took Syracuse just the money line. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty confident Syracuse is going to win this game straight up, and and they what they won by three touchdowns. Yeah, and so so and you know what? So and they they open this season at uh, where where the Jaguars play in Jacksonville. They're playing Boise State. Um, I'm interested to see what the what the line the opening line is going to be on that because I mean that's I mean they're going to get smoked. Like I mean it's not. So oh, like boy. like I said, I mean All this right. is they're they're kind of they're putting they're putting a lot of eggs in the Kendall Bryles basket, which you know it's it's not a terrible basket to put all your no, eggs not in. At all. Um, no. but he's he's gonna have to save Willie Taggart. Yeah, just saying it right now. All right, that's all I have. Any final thoughts? Not really. I just I yeah I I, I love I love ripping on Willie Taggart. It's fun. Well, I'll say this. I after reading that article, I'm gonna. I'll have more of an open mind going into this season, you know, because if that's what you want, Willie Taggart, you know, there's some decent evidence that, yeah, it, it wasn't great. And, you know, academics weren't great. You know, I'll, I'll give them a chance this upcoming year. Uh, slightly. I, I I'm not going to bury him as quickly as I did before. I, there was enough evidence in there to think, okay, maybe there's something, but uh, I'm not confident that although I will say the Kendall Browse thing though that does make me feel a little more confident because their offense will be a lot better yeah. and I will say if, if they come out and they're putting up a ton of points and they're impressive and I will I will eat crow I will have no problem doing that Willie Tiger he seems like a really good dude I will he seems like a cool guy I will say that yeah I'm I'm merely commenting on his on his his lack of success coaching college football right and yeah the numbers back that up I mean he's he's been at best an average coach during his time as a head football coach in college and at worst a below average coach and to, to last year looking not to be borderline and nah, that's that's too strong I was gonna say in that's to just bad I mean because again you brought those scores I mean they were not competitive in a lot of their losses and they didn't show up I mean freaking just getting dis I mean like run off the field destroyed all right that's it for this week we got a bit of a wonky schedule next week because of big 12 football media day so we'll do our best to keep you updated on when that next show will be out uh you know just to keep checking your podcast player and when it shows up it'll be there so until next time for grant i am lee this is west of everest